Okay. I think there's a, there's a delay, but that should work. Or should there's always yeah. a delay. Yeah, it usually works. Okay. That's what the class is for, because then I can get it back on. Okay. I kind of like staying in the class sometimes. I know. <laughs> Just, yeah, we're all going to do the class together. I think the class count should be a little faster. Because it, it didn't have a clear beat, you know? Like. Fine! As if this is the okay, influence wait. of being married to a music teacher, huh? So, Shyla is the drummer. Shyla's a drummer, and she's a clap. Oh, yeah. She's. Do you want to do you want to clap, Shyla? Would that make you feel more confident? Yeah, guide us in your clapping. I'm just saying that. Fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, I pause it. I do make it. I made it longer just because since there is a delay. If I do it really fast, you may not like one, two, three, clap. And Wait, then, maybe that still works. I don't know. No, yeah, it's fine. You guys. Just, We're trying our best, Shyla. Yeah, We're trying our best. You're doing it in case Zion doesn't have rhythm. Hey! No. Oh! No. I'm studying music too, you know. Oh, oh. What type of assumptions are happening that. here? I have never said. I never said. It. You know what? I I have nothing against. Oh. Wait, is this, is this is this against Zion or against Asian people? Because no. I know, I know a lot of Asian a lot of Asian people do music. music. No, yeah, amazing that. break dancers. I know that actually one of Janet Jackson's best friends is a backup dancer. <laughs> best Asian. friends. Um, yeah, she heard she has a best friend who's How Asian. How is it? It's only been a minute, and you're already talking about Janet Jackson. It's just, I'm just, it came already. You guys were talking about Asian rhythm, and like it's the thing that comes to mind when we're. On oh that right, it's directly, it's linear. Asians in rhythm, Janet Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Asians, look, listen. Okay, she's got. A great uh, that's name. all I can do right now. She's got a great uh, fan base over the there. podcast. I was just mm. throwing shade. It wasn't anything to do with Asian people. I just wanted to. I just. I was trying to just be throwing shade at Zion. Yeah. Well, let me let me cover myself because I don't know if I'm even prepared. <laughs> I'm not gonna be prepared when the shade comes my way. <laughs> let me get a light. <laughs> so you can't block me. I'm sorry. Oh dear. Anyway, Shyla. I love you. My friend. <laughs> Who invited me to be part of her wedding? Right, gave us. But I guess she couldn't trust me to like walk down at the right time on the music. That's why she made you go last, so it didn't depend on you. Now me, but she put the black person on the end. She did. I also got paired with Carmen, so they just assume like you know if I'm with Carmen, then I'll be able to be lined up. Yes, they put you with another black person. I've never had this thought before right now, just to make a joke. And you were a dancer, and I saw you perform actually that one time on stage with the sign for the poet lady. And you were oh. Zion performed somewhere. She had great rhythm. Yeah, she was on stage. She was dancing. It was it was a movement piece. I don't I don't think <laughs> I did much. Anyway, how about talk about something about more interesting than dancing. like throwing shade at it my dancing, dancing abilities? Like, you know, oh god! People were artfully walking, <sighs> stopping, and she like posed at a couple of, of like places. So she modeled. <laughs> okay, now I'm throwing shade. Zion, would you like to start this? <laughs> anyway, well, I don't. Did we want to talk about this? Like, so at least Shyla and I are really excited about Jordan Peele's new movie coming out, Get Out, which is a horror movie that is about. Well, I think the description I saw was like about exploring Black people's actual fears. I don't know if excited is the word, but I'm definitely interested. Uh, fast, it's, intrigued. It's fast, yeah, there yeah. We go. <laughs> yeah, I have so many friends who don't usually watch horror movies that are thinking that they should go see it. But like, one of the scenes that really resonated 
with me and reminded us me of the time that we went to the diner in rural Pennsylvania mm-hmm. was when he like goes to this lily white, um, whatever small town, the super waspy. And he's like, you know, sometimes you don't feel comfortable when it's just white people or, you know, like there's some line like that in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, have you experienced that? We had that same feeling. We all walked in and we were staring around. Like- it was exactly who's going to retell this story. Cause we gotta, we gotta give it the appropriate. Yeah. It was a, um, an August day. You know, in <laughs> Philadelphia, P- Pennsylvania. I don't know. I was, I was going to say PIA. I've been talking to my dad recently. Anyway, uh, I like to tra- go to new places. I So I, you know, look on my GPS. I look up Yelp. It had amazing reviews on Yelp. We so were I'm hungry. like, okay, it's on the way from here to where we're going to drop Shiloh off. Let's go to this diner. And then it wasn't until we got out 30 miles outside of Philadelphia that we go to the diner, we park, and we go in, and then we realize what we had walked into. And uh, I think when we first came in, they told us to go right back outside. Yeah, they did. (laughs) It was like to wait outside. And it... It was it was kind of like we all just kind of looked at we were I think we sat down on the little bench to wait outside and in my head I was like okay I think that was a little weird but I guess maybe that's normal you know they're busy maybe they just want us to wait outside where no one else is all the white people get to wait inside I don't know but we yeah yeah all looked at each other and then I don't did someone say something I don't remember whether there's like actually any verbal cue. Yeah, I feel like we just looked at each other and we knew, and then we said something like, maybe we should go. Like, I feel like we said yeah, something like that. Yeah, and then I started apologizing <laughs> for recommending the place. Oh, yeah, you're like, I'm sorry, I didn't know, I didn't know. And then later, I was like, I'm really sorry, down, guys. I think we got, to, we got to joke about it a little bit, like, kind of in a hushed tone, because it was really weird. Also, no one else is out there but us colored people. And then when we got in, when we actually waited inside, we were like, oh, I see, I think I see a, a Hispanic Latino person, so maybe we're okay. It was, it's always so scary when you're traveling and, like, you have to stop in these random nowhere, like, mm-hmm. towns and, like, you know, a diner is kind of very symbolic of, like, you know, small town, like, everyone all American. knows each other. Yeah, all yeah. American. White America. So you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my but the body. craziest thing about it was the food was amazing. I know. I and think we were so scared. We, like, <laughs> like, we sat down, we ordered, we're like, we don't know what to expect. And then, like... It was delicious. Yes, the best French toast like ever. Uh-huh. Your face, the face you made. I, <laughs> I know. Um, I had this savage look on my face. Like that I think I was caught on her phone. Eating just so I could record this situation <laughs> happening. It was so interesting. <laughs> and then I think like wait, I think Shiloh, you and I ordered bacon or something. Or the point is, is that. Zine had like multiple pieces of sausage or something, and it looked so great. But she got so possessive, like her life. (laughs) I was not going to share any of it. And she was like, "If you ever touch my plate, with no, no, we're not sharing. No, we can't have any of this." (laughs) I think I had sausage too, but I had more of it, and I was like trying to, you know, I was wondering. Oh, you wanted to bargain? You wanted to swap one? That's what it was. And she was having none of it. But her hey. mouth was still full of food, so she didn't really say anything. Like, she just kind of looked I'm just like, glaring at you guys. Was like, she just <laughs> it was amazing. She didn't need to say anything. It was very clear from her face that you will draw back in love. To... <laughs> she, wow, it was amazing. It truly is one of the best photos ever taken of me, I think. Yeah. I think it really captures my personality. <laughs> yeah, not to mention that, um, 
I think I was taking a panorama, and so the oh god, well, face half my face was but distorted. It fit the actual occasion. Because I was like, ah. Oh. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So if you guys are mean to me, I'm gonna post it just so that everyone knows. It's already been posted, but it's, it's already it. posted. It's I'll too late. It where it's relevant, I'll I'll put it on the podcast page. As our episode description, yeah. <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah. That's what we talking about. That's what podcast. we do. Higher education and embarrassing photos. Yeah. So if you didn't know already, this is a PhD, this podcast. I'm Liz or Dr. I'm Liz Zain Wayne. Yao. Yep, Dr. Yao. And we're a podcast about academia, culture, and social justice across the STEM humanities divide. That's right. We like lipstick. And as you've also found out, we like pancakes. And sauces, French toast, French toast, and we also like our special guest today, Dr. Shyla Foster. Welcome, Shyla. Yay! Also, <laughs> Shyla just waved. Of... <laughs> 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 We're looking at each other. It's natural. Yes, <laughs> and Shyla's also with her dog Laverne. So if you hear Laverne talk, you know she's been doing super well. So maybe she'll settle down again. I, I got, know. I Hello. got too excited. <laughs> I tried to provoke her. <laughs> it didn't work. But um, it, it, in terms of diners, if you guys are ever out here again, there's a there's one nearby that that I really like that you should you should visit. They've oh got really? Pretty decent French toast too. Like it How might be. And we, and we won't we won't fear, be afraid of particularly oh, no, racially is, based is, repercussions. We're very um, this area is actually pretty diverse, so that's good. Yep. So we can blend in. Well, you don't necessarily blend in. By diverse, I mean, like, you know, there's a lot of Turkish people. There's mm. a lot of, um, well, Zan might blend in, you know. There's a, <laughs> there's a, good, there's a big Asian population. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like you a, know what's really funny? So I've been talking to my, most of my, the majority of my lab is international. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so last, this week, I went to dinner with one of my friends who's Chinese. And we went and we ate hot pot and it was so funny because she was just smiling the whole time, like like this kind of like fixed grin. And then I'm like, why are you smiling so much? And she says, because I've never eaten hot pot with a foreigner before. And I'm like, you called me a foreigner. You're in the U.S. I was just joking, like, well, technically you're the foreigner. Uh-huh. So we were just laughing about it, and it was it was really cute though because she just. Laverne. Laverne oh, also thinks it's cute. <laughs> but yeah, she she enjoyed showing us how to eat hot pot and ordering everything for us. And she made us try this tea, which she said would give us gas, among other things. Why would you want to get gas? I, I don't know. It was healthy or something. Uh, healthy to fart? Yeah, and we I did get gas, but... This is not. <laughs> this is not the. Is this, okay. On this episode yeah, of Steve, um, Liz talks about getting gas. This is that part where there's a segue into another relevant conversation. So. So now that we're catching up with Shyla, um, you guys may remember Shyla when we interviewed her about like a year a year ago on studying what she loves, which is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And how you navigate both researching what you love and teaching what you love. Mm-hmm. And so we just we thought it'd be great to catch up with Shyla now that she's started a new job and she's just uh, newly married to her girlfriend now wife Rebecca Salzman, and we're both part of the wedding party. Yes. Um. And 
yeah, having a conversation, I think, about a very important topic to higher education. But, oh, <laughs> what, has, what has life been with that anticipation? Uh, how has life been? I don't. Uh. What's new, Shyla? I promise I'm not. I'm not drunk. I'm not high. I'm not even sleepy. You like recap what we talked about? Wait, what's the question? All right, go ahead. What's new, Shyla? Since we last talked to you, other than getting married? No, no, no. What's good, Shyla? Okay. Oh, maybe Nina was a better question. I'm kidding. Um. What's new? I, yeah, I have started um, a new job. I'm teaching full time, um, but it, it's a one year position. So I'm, you know, still considered an adjunct, even though it's, it's a, an ideal situation for an adjunct. You know, I have a fairly um, decent salary and, mm-hmm. um, you know, medical insurance and like various Holidays. benefits and stuff. So that. That's good. Yeah, it's great. Um, I'm teaching. Uh, it's a four-four. Um, yeah. Role. What classes are you teaching? I'm teaching two classes that are considered like um, like a pre-college writing class for students who, I guess, based on their SAT scores, it was determined that they needed um, they needed more guidance before a normal first-year writing class. And mm-hmm. then I'm teaching. Um, uh, a composition course that's for upperclassmen, so two two of each. Did you design any of these classes? Um, I did them? design them. Um, they're, which is interesting because it means that like, officially, um, there's no there's no indication to the students what the class is going to be about until mm-hmm. they show up. You know, so the official description is just like. You know, this is this level. It's for students who placed the who got a this score lower or the score higher on their SAT. Like it's just a very kind of generic like statement that has nothing to do with the content at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think my my classes have been a bit of a surprise, but you know. <laughs> hopefully in a good way. That's cool. So tell me um, that this is the position you're in now, but for the purpose of our listeners and thinking about that transition. What were some of the things that you were doing in between um, finishing your PhD and getting this current position? It was it was quite a ride, um, <laughs> and so I feel even if you know my situation is still kind of tenuous, it feels much more stable than it than it did before. So um, the first semester after I got my um, PhD. I ad I was an adjunct at a at a university that had, you know, what's a more common and way more desperate situation where, you know, I was paid like per class, um, like maybe I think it was like, I, I taught two classes officially, they were both first year writing like composition courses and. Mm-hmm. I took over a third course um, about a month in because a faculty member went on maternity leave. And so, yeah, I was paid per class. I think it was like $1,200 per course for the semester. And, oh, my God. Um, 
no benefits. Oh my god. And um, so yeah, it was very you know, it it was really it was really stressful because like the I didn't I didn't have a car at the time. Traveling was a lot. I basically could only afford like the commute, you know, on the train there and back. And um, the the students were really engaged. Like the the actual experience of being in the classroom was pretty rewarding, if you know, exhausting sometimes because they were very um, passionate about their opinions, especially when they disagreed <laughs> with me. Um, but it was just a very like unsustainable life, you know. Thankfully, uh, my wife, who was then my fiance had a much more stable job um, and she could, you know, take the brunt of rent and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it was not something that we could keep up and not something I wanted to continue doing like the next semester, you know, they were, they offered me two courses in the spring and I was like, that's (laughs) many faculty, many other adjuncts I met there were teaching at multiple other institutions, you know, pulling together, four to six courses at like, you know, different schools at a time. I can't imagine that still doesn't seem like enough to live on. It does, I mean, maybe if you accumulate enough courses, but then you're not doing anything else. You know, that's your whole, yeah. your life is either teaching or traveling between schools. Um, so I, I, I gave that up um, and decided to try my hand at a non-academic job. Altac. Yeah. Altech? Altac is the acronym oh, that often has to be used, yes, you know, yes, hashtag yes. Alt- alternate so what academic made you, careers. Yeah. I'm curious what made you think about doing an Altac job? So was it like, okay, these adjunct jobs really aren't doing anything. Maybe it's better on the other side, or why don't I try doing this? Was that sort of the thinking? Yes, there are a couple <clears> of factors too, because you know, because we because we wanted Rebecca to keep her job and we wanted to stay, you know living together, there was a limited radius, you know, where I could apply. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the types of opportunities that I was seeing were very similar to the one I was trying to get out of. And, um, I mean, it was a very looking for a, looking for a teaching job and finding something that turned out to, you know, just not be something I could keep. It was very it was disheartening, um, and I was very, I was, I really wanted to earn money, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got to a point where I was yeah. like, this, the teaching thing is great, and like, not, you know, you're not earning money, but like, you love to work, and all of that is wonderful, but like, I really need to be able to help, you know, support us, like, you know, it was very, yeah. it was hard on me to not be able to do that, and so, um, I thought, you know, why not give this a shot? It's been something that's on my mind. That's definitely like um, something that comes up more and more in conversations because of the job market. So it wasn't my first time thinking about it. And so over, um, it took me over winter break, I guess. For, so that January after my fall semester, I, I found a job um, in New York City at a startup like tech writing company and um that was terrible Mm -hmm. it was like 
I mean, you know, Ryan was no, like I, I, I definitely had conversations with them where I, you know, talked about like how hard it was. Um, just not the actual work itself, but more of the, you know, it turns out startup culture is not a fit for me. Uh, <laughs> the, the actual company, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the CEO of the company was very like verbally abusive um, of his staff in general. Um, long hours. I mean, that sounds really lame because of course, you know, as a teacher, you have long hours, but it was more mm-hmm. of like a focused kind of, you're stuck in this, in this room and the, the guy in charge is like literally yelling at us like for 12 hours a day, oh you know, um, yeah. telling everyone how, you know, they're like, they're stupid and they write like five-year-olds and what? uh, what's wrong with you that you think this makes sense and you make me want to shoot myself in the face like what? many, many, many times. You've never um, mentioned some of this before. <laughs> day. Like, this is the way you normally spoke to people. Like, you, you all make me want to kill myself type statements. And um, uh, I feel bad if he has, ever has children. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, so it was just, it, it felt, it felt terrible. It felt, I couldn't afford to quit, you know, because that was actually the best paying job I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um but like it was doing, it was really not good for my mental health. It wasn't good for my relationship. Like I was, it was a very bleak uh, few months. And then um, I was let go uh, from that job because I, I wasn't passionate enough. Uh, and so, um, which was just a, which was just a blessing really because mm-hmm. You know, it was extremely liberating. I was like, I don't have the privilege to just like walk away from this on on like by choice because yeah, I can't, you know, so it gave you an out, yeah. like it forced you out. It was, but that was very yeah. good. Um, and so, and then I, I meanwhile during that. Um, during that job, because I knew I wanted to get out of it, I started applying to more things. And I heard back from the institution where I'm teaching at now. They asked, you know, for an interview and told me about like this position. And it seemed like this could really happen. But that was still, you know, months from then because it was, you know, it was like February or March when I um, when I left that job. So I needed something until the fall. Mm-hmm. And I, um, so I had another adventure. I, for a couple of days, I worked as a day. As a, a couple of days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You'll see why. For a couple of days. Yes. I, I worked as a sales representative for Verizon Wireless. <laughs> um, Verizon. <laughs> this was something that asked me. Nothing's wrong with Verizon. I had Verizon. I could have could have helped me out. Figure out where my minutes went. (laughs) (laughs) This was like there are a lot of these things going on in New York City. Um, These jobs where it's like they're kind of like sales jobs, but they're not very specific, and they're just recruiting all the time, and it's very like. it's a little suspicious, but like whatever I thought, you know, I, I got a chance at 
you know, earning money. And so this place was, um, it wasn't what you think. It wasn't like a work in a Verizon store for people who want phones. This was mm-hmm. like a, um, this was like a, a door-to-door, like, commission-based oh. thing where you you go to all these little shops. That's why people text now, so you don't have to do things face-to-face. <laughs> you go to, you, it was door-to-door at, like, local businesses, and you're trying to get them to buy Verizon, like, their internet and phone service. Hmm. And so... Um, <laughs> It was just an epic. That was such a terrible fit. It was an other world. Like we, like the first day um, of like training, we were all in this room and like they, they took out all the furniture. There was some school of thought about like meetings where everyone's more engaged if they don't sit down or something. So there's no, it's like an empty room, and they have stereo, (laughs) blasting music that. They told me the purpose of it is to make it so loud that everyone has to shout because that's more. So this is a club it, now. This is a club. It was yeah, terrible. It's terrible. Energetic and so like so for the training it was like you would go to a corner and then a sales rep who's been there a little longer would be like so here are the five like tools for negotiation and then you're like wow. woo and then they call you <laughs> you have to go to <laughs> part of the room and then like the you're supposed to like be really pumped and screaming all the time, and the guy in charge is like, "Yeah, I was like you last year." And now man, all act jobs dollars. are rough. <laughs> this uh, is like again, not this is not everyone's experience. Plenty of people <laughs> have left academia and have really fulfilling careers that make use of their <laughs> skills, but that's not what I ended up doing. So this is so, a PSA against Verizon, really. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> out, out. This is a situation. And so, yeah, so for, so I did a day of like, two days of going around (laughs) and um, doing the whole door-to-door thing. I had a partner with me because I was new. And it was not a good idea. It was just, it was like, I I don't even have the energy to, to do that sort of like, bring up conversations with random people many times a day, but then also to get them to buy something, which uh-huh. no one wants to do. They could mm-hmm. see you coming. And it was so sketchy sometimes. Like, we were in, like, a not great area of New Jersey, and, like, I got, you know, sexually harassed multiple times. Oh. I got, like, oh my God. You know, unwanted touching multiple times. And no! The, God! And the, the person who was with me, like, he was, the, he was this guy who was, like, way taller than me. Seems like he could handle himself. He was completely oblivious. Like, <laughs> one time we were, we were at, like, this little, like, deli place, and we were shaking hands with the owner and his family to say goodbye on our way out. And one of the guys grabbed my hand like really tightly and started making kissing sounds at me and like no. to the point oh where God. I was literally try- I had to exert quite a lot of force to try to get my hand away from him <laughs> like <laughs> there was no polite way to like withdraw like, he had a vice grip and the- meanwhile the dude I was working with just like whistled and skipped on his way out the out the door and I'm like oh. Oh. Okay, so basically, like, he's acting like a pimp now. He was acting like a pimp. Like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to stand out here and wait until this business transaction is done. So for a number of reasons, that was just, that wasn't That's terrible. And, um, and so I, I threw in the towel there after, after two days of that. And 
Um, which is which is sad because I could have been a millionaire by now. Apparently. <laughs> I know. Well, you just have to let your hand be groped by more strange men, I guess. All a lot the, of groping. All the, the, the people who were above me were men, and they hadn't been there for very long. So it was a very strange, it was a very strange world. But anyway, um, after that, <laughs> I, I found a, a different job. Um, I was hired by a man who owned a firm that... Um, that aids whistleblowers in their kind of like oh. legal process. Interesting. And so I I wrote lots of pieces about like different court cases where people um, won against you know most a, a lot of times it was like medical um, like Medicare fraud Medicaid fraud. Mm-hmm. It turns out this is everywhere and like every medical institution is probably guilty of some horrible thing where they've stolen millions of mm. dollars from everybody who like is old and poor. Um, oh. and, um, and so that was, that was nice. It was peaceful. I got to work from home. Um, and the guy was not at all insane. Um, <laughs> but it turns out, you know, he also had a real estate business and that was taking up all of his time. So he never actually read anything that I wrote. So I worked for him for like, again, probably like three months. And he, I just let the articles pile up and he kept saying we would talk and we would meet and he just never had the time. And eventually he was like, you know, I guess I wasn't ready to hire anybody. So, you know, thanks. Did you get but... paid for your writing, though? I did. I got paid throughout. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't complain too hard. But I <laughs> <laughs> You were like, so, I'm going to sit on my couch. And so here you are. And, yeah, so that happened. And now here I am. I did end up getting the, getting the um, teaching job. And so now I'm back in academia to whatever extent this is, I guess. Yeah. With people who are <laughs> also crazy, but a crazy you understand. <laughs> Yes, yes. If I could make some observations, Shiloh, I think that... <laughs> um, Please. What, I think that's what this is very indicative of. Like, I thought that um, this episode was sort of going to be loosely themed talking about, like, adjunctification, but I think it sort of shows how it dovetails into so many larger issues with the economy right now, especially that our generation is facing. Because, mm-hmm. of course, like, the Verizon job and these other ones that you're describing, startup culture, mm-hmm. is so much of what people in our generation are expected to contribute and like you're being exploited not just in terms of your work and your hours but even emotionally that in so many of these cases you're describing like they expect you to put in this type of love and passion this and somehow that is supposed to like overcome the fact that you have like no benefits or like you're not having in a supportive environment mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then and i mean and some of the times you know it does kind of overshadow it because you're in the case of you know lots of adjunct faculty they want so badly to have a job. And so if you give them, if you give us anything, mm-hmm. like that's so much better than drifting around in the abyss trying to find a place to work. <laughs> it's just like really grateful and you don't want to rock the boat too much because they don't have to keep you, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, you know, this is better than being where you were before you got hired, right? So like... Um, yeah, it's just a really, we're just, we're not in a position um, to demand more in a lot of cases because, you know, you're, you're, I 
in such a precarious position that you can't leverage it to for anything. Yeah. But so you're like you're like replaceable. Yes. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and you know there are plenty of 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 adjuncts waiting in line for for another class to teach, right? To take on like another load so they can get more money mm -hmm. or whatever. So there's no, you don't have any leverage. Um, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, and on top of also that, I think important PhDs. I mean, going back, if we, yeah. I just think about how many times I have family members or community, people in the community who say, oh, but you have a PhD and you're from Cornell, like you should have no problem finding a job. And I think when you get told that for so long and you kind of hope and believe, like you hope, like you're, you're really kind of buying into it. And then when you get out there and you realize, no, there actually isn't a line of jobs for me. In fact, there's a line of other people who are similar, similarly qualified to me looking for the same jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're we were told that, you know, education is the key to everything, you know, and like that, you know, having the degree that's like the highest you can get in or in your specific field, you think that means like you, you're going to have it made, like, or some doors protection, are going to be open yeah. for you. Yeah. Not, yeah, protect, like there's, so, like, there's a sense that like you can't have that level of expertise and not be hireable, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's like you we try to play the right game and do the right things in terms of like building up credentials that are authoritative and academic, but as our generation has been finding out like you can do all the right things, but we've been sort of sold a, you know, yeah. a false dream. And let's not forget that this also applies to STEM fields as well. Hmm. You know, I I think it's also easy for some people to think to sit there and say, oh, that's just your humanities. It's never going to happen to a STEM person. And, um, you know, I, I do see my friends struggle. And I see people who go to postdocs and end up doing a second postdoc because the first one didn't work out. And then they're trying a second one. And then some people are in permanent postdocs. Um, or, like, they're trying to find that new transition. And it, it takes a while, if at all, to find a job. Um, or in some cases, like they've actually managed to make a discovery, but they can't pay themselves because they're trying to make a business. And then someone who's more established steals their idea. Yeah, that'll happen too. Yeah. 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 Um, also on this topic, um, to talk about how more pervasive it, this is, of course, we're about a month away from this now, but there was the Long Island University lockout mm -hmm. back in September. Uh, which showed that it wasn't just about adjuncts, but even tenure track and tenured uh, professors at LIU that got shut out by the administration because the administration was trying to get them to agree to a contract that would have meant um, a lot more work, less pay, fewer benefits, all the things that we hear about. And this, I think, is the first incident in which um, there's actually been a lockout in higher education. And they brought in people to try and strike break by teaching classes that didn't know anything. Students were outraged. They also ended up protesting. And the lockout finally ended. But um, when I was trying to look up the latest information, I think that they just continued the existing contract, but like new terms haven't been set. And so it looks like this might is going to be 
it looks like this is not going to be an anomaly in higher education in America or North America or, or in general. Like this is the beginning of this trend that shows that we really should, we all should be paying more attention to what adjuncts are facing because it's going to be affecting everyone. You know, the institution I'm teaching at right now, um, the faculty are going on strike this month uh, for similar reasons. You know, they're, among many things, they're planning for a position like mine, like an adjunct with a full-time course load. Um, they want to increase that from 4-4 to 5-5 and um, not increase the salary. Mm. <laughs> and um, there's there's another thing about restrictions to like um, adding family to health insurance. There's some kind of health insurance component as mm -hmm. well, and um, just like people are really unhappy because this trend is terrible, and it means that like oh, also there's another change they want to make where what is it something like they they want to extend the job to candidates who don't necessarily have a PhD or a master's degree, like any level of like grad student mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. like be, you know, be hired to teach the courses. It just means that like even more competition and even less reason to hire, um, yeah. to, to hire faculty with, with um, whatever they call it, with credentials. Yeah. Not credentials. It's like this. Like, like, <laughs> okay. You were grasping yeah. for PhD. It's been a long night. It's like this race to the bottom in terms of <laughs> how far the administration can push everyone. Yeah, and I feel like um, on a related note, because we're talking about precarity and unions and strikes, of course, there was the big um, labor, board, labor board decision that said that graduate students at private un uh, universities mm -hmm. can um, unionize because there used to be a decision from Brown, uh, based on a conflict at Brown University saying that couldn't happen. So... I know a lot of people at Cornell and other places are now making a big point about how students are workers um, and employees and not just students. And so personally, um, I'm sitting on the committee, MLA committee for the status of graduate students in the profession. And for uh, 2018, uh, yeah, 2018, I'm trying to propose a panel about precarity, like, grad labor precarity. Um, and also we, I reached out to the committee on contingent labor and the profession. So adjuncts, because obviously this is a conversation that we really need to have where it's not just grad unions, but grad unions, adjunct unions talking together because this is such a systemic structural problem. Yeah. Grad students will, may one day be adjuncts. Okay. Statistically will be them. Um, I don't know if I've ever told you guys this story, but I recently went to one of my friends, um, the graduation, the commencement ceremony for the PhDs. And they have speakers. That's common to have a speaker. But what I noticed when the provost was talking about the PhD graduates is that in the first maybe 15 minutes, he, didn't, he never mentioned training. He only talked about how much the research that the students are doing brings in millions of dollars for the state, which brings in millions of dollars for the university and how they're now a world leader in research and bringing in grants and things. So it was, I just kind of reflected on the language that they use and how 
no one and then I thought about how really no one ever really talks about training STEM training they talk about and I'm talking about STEM in particular but Uh it could have probably applied other places but it's really about the money that the students bring in right like with federal grants um the universities usually request 40 to 60 percent overhead so if a faculty member brings in a million dollar grant you know the university is going to get fifty five hundred thousand dollars from that and that's so that's obviously scales and there's a huge incentive for bringing in grants and then having faculty then have to bring in grants to get tenure having students work on those grants day in day out to get the data that produces that um but it's rare it's not about it's not centered on training anymore and yeah, it's like so, there's something it's that becoming more we're and more just, apparent yeah. like the business that's not a word i was gonna say business 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 and yeah. the um corporatization of academia mm-hmm. and this like sort of model or how how i see students who are have re- fulfilled the training requirements of a phd program right they they took a big project and made it made it work they've done papers they've contributed but an advisor can say but i need you to produce more and therefore you can't graduate and there's just like continually blurring of the lines resources Mm -hmm. yeah but again it's about the money and it's it's really clear if you're if you're listening it's clear I was going to add that, um, yeah, that it seems like the way that graduate students aren't, it's not just that, like, the official rhetoric is like, oh, we're, we're students, but, like, it's obviously clear that we're resources, and, like, sort of been forgotten that there's supposed to be, this is not supposed to be the end unto itself, it's supposed to be a means to an end. I was also going to add, like, there's this interesting piece I saw in Nature uh, being put around Twitter about how the corporatization of the university has actually led to, like, some really unethical research practices. Mm-hmm because only certain types of research are being valued. And there's this example I think they're talking about in um, one of the Scandinavian countries, and I couldn't quite follow all of it, but because of this push to the corporatization of the university and the amount of precarity in that system, like I think that both bad research is being done, but also like people's lives, because it was like in the health sciences, were also being endangered mm-hmm. um, just because these pressures to produce according to a certain corporatized logic, like it, it actually affects people on on a very individual, personal level, um, health-wise, yeah, well-being. I think that's. I mean, I've I mentioned this on on another episode, but I can see this also happening when you have colleges that are specifically were designed to be teaching institutions. How how they're now being required to apply for huge grants to compete with research institutions. So there's this push all around to do more research because research brings in money. So when you, when you have a cash-strapped state school, you can apply for money through grants. And it's, it's really kind of unfortunate. I think there's like a slow death of the teaching college in a way and the rise of the entrepreneurship and everything has to have a direct goal. And hey, maybe I'm a hypocrite because I'm also in nanotechnology, but um, it's um, I do I find it very concerning. But let's switch gears for a second. 
Um, <laughs> or maybe <laughs> very sobering. <laughs> I know it's it's interesting because as sobering as it is, we're all still here, trying to be light, I guess, in the tunnel. And um, speaking of the light in the tunnel. Shyla, I heard that you had a very affirming uh, experience in your classroom recently. <laughs> Would you like to talk about it? Um, can you, <laughs> can you guys, can you hear Laverne right now? Or no, no. Okay, good. Because she's she's very upset that I'm not letting her in, and she's I don't want you to hear a dog crying and make me think I'm like abusing her or something. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, so, yeah, affirming. Uh, I guess, yeah, that's the way to put it. So I am, like I said, teaching um, score courses, two that are like a beginner composition course and two that are um, considered advanced, meaning like upperclassmen. Um, and I, I got to choose, you know, for myself what these classes are about. And so for the advanced courses, um, we are doing a class about action heroines, uh, focusing on um, like particularly the action film genre, but uh, more generally like depictions of, of feminine, uh, depictions of like empowered women and uh, pop culture <laughs> and thinking about feminist theory and stuff. And um, I was very clear on, you know, what this class would be about, like day one, you know, in the syllabus, it was very clear what, what we're going to be reading and watching and, um, and everything. But I think that a couple of, of a few students in my class um, really <laughs> resented the fact that we were going to be talking about, um, about feminism and like women's and gender studies. And so they, I, I had a, a group in the back of my classroom, um, this group class is about, I don't know, 20, 26 students, I believe, and mm -hmm. like around four of them um, who sat in the very back of the room um, were extremely hostile and kind of heckling me um, every class, you know, um, either just sort of laughing and um, very pointedly not paying attention or kind of rapid firing questions that were meant to just sort of say like, uh, you know, you're wrong. Stop talking. You know, they would say things. And like, you're the teacher. Uh, you're the you're the professor yeah. in this situation. So yes, I would talk about a trend, and they would go, "Well, I saw this one show where <laughs> this that didn't happen. So aren't you wrong?" Or like. Um, I don't know, Every everything was, you know, but that's just your opinion, right? Like, very, <laughs> like, is there is there a point to this, right? They would say wow. things like that, like, very... Just challenging your authority. Constantly, yeah. like, dealing with that to where I just completely dreaded going into the classroom, like, um, it just, it, it uh, and it got to the point where they were really, minus, like, one or two other people, like, the only people speaking, so it was just... You know, oh my gosh, that's like horrible. Every class was Such like a, a battle with, with them. Yeah, and it was just, it was awful. And I was worried, like, I felt like, oh my God, no one else ever, like, what if, what if the reason why everyone's silent is because, like, 
they're just speaking for the group, you know, like, oh. just in the background, just sort of, like, the voice of everyone in the classroom, mm-hmm. and, like, they all, like, just are, and I was like, oh, my God, and so, um, things sh- shifted for me when I got an email, um, from a student, this was, like, maybe two weeks into classes, I got an email from a student who was like, um, yeah, I sit near these guys, the situation is really terrible, they're just sort of making fun of you, and, like, making fun of like other students answers wow um and it's like made people really uncomfortable like I don't really feel comfortable talking um anymore because of you know like the like the that environment and I was like oh okay that means now that I have a clear sense that like no, my worst fear is not true, and they're not all, you know, like, no. they all, don't all hate me, you know, I need to, like, actually address this, because it's, you know, they've, they've made other students uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, I was at a loss, I was like, I don't know how to address this, I don't know what to do, I, um, I, I talked to, um, some mentors about it I talked to mm-hmm. other colleagues of color about it um on Facebook in person and I I got a lot of I got a lot of helpful feedback lots of different suggestions mm-hmm. on how to like either facilitate activities that would make students like have to talk and get new voices in the rooms or like somehow split those guys up in a way that just still like felt it just felt it was very bizarre to be dealing with like a behavior issue. Right. I mean, maybe I'm naive, but I'm uh-huh. like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, what grade like, is college this? class? Like, yes, exactly. Like, what? I don't want to have to like have assigned seating or something. <laughs> like, this is like you guys are grown, like, especially <laughs> since this is an advanced class. They were like all juniors and seniors. Like, what? Jeez. What the hell? The earth is happening, and so. Um, uh, the, the Friday after I got this, this email, um, I, I had a plan. I wrote out to myself, like, a whole little speech of what I would say, because I definitely wanted to, like, prepare a draft, so I wouldn't feel like <laughs> I was, I was winging it, because it was just, like, really outside of my comfort zone. I didn't read off the paper in front of the students or anything. I just that would have been badass. That <laughs> I don't know if that would have looked like. Super powerful. Go ahead. I'm listening. Are you being sarcastic? No. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, anyway. So um, <laughs> it, I, I had it all planned out. So when class started, I didn't say anything. You know, I let the, I let the the kids kind of die out. I sat down in front of everybody with a very kind of serious expression. I let there be a moment of silence. I noticed <laughs> that two of the boys were not there which made me panic internally for a second. So I was like, oh my God, like maybe I should wait. You're right, I see what you're saying. And I'm like, I've been psyching myself out for this. <laughs> like it's going to happen, like whatever. <laughs> and so I, 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 after the silence, I was like, um, you know, we need to talk. You know, the atmosphere in this classroom is not good. I told you guys, you know, on the very first day that um, this room needed to be a safe space because we're talking about things that are really important, that are really sensitive, that are really controversial. And I, I, I really, it's important that everybody feels comfortable like sharing their views and like, you know, being a part of the conversation. Um, 
But unfortunately, this room has never been a safe space because some of the students in the back, right, I made very pointed eye contact <laughs> with like the two or three who were there, um, have been mocking students, mocking me, laughing, asking questions that are really meant to just shut down the conversation. Um, and it's been, you know, really detrimental to everyone's learning. It's been really disrespectful to everybody and frankly, just mean. Um, I, I told them that, you know, I thought that since this was an advanced class that you guys could handle being pushed. Oh. And, you know, um, reading and thinking about material that maybe you hadn't been introduced to before. Um, if it turns out that you can't handle being pushed, then you really should adjust your schedule accordingly. I want you here yeah. if you want to be here. Right, you know, I made that, you know, again, making eye contact throughout this, you yeah. know, like, you, like, so he knew, one, one of the guys particularly, he had, like, kind of a sheepish look, and he, like, kind of nodded a little, and I was like, yeah, like, yeah. if you want to be here, then I want you here, you know, and leaving unspoken the fact that, you know, they need to just step if they're not willing to, like, you know, give things a shot, and so, um, then I don't remember how I ended it. That was just like the most important thing. I think there were a couple. I more think you had a mic and then you dropped the mic. <laughs> I know. Wow. <laughs> Way to go. Way to go, Charlotte. It was, so proud of you. It was so funny because I could tell there was an effect like right away because um, I had them do a, like a writing exercise like immediately after that. And normally when I tell um, the class to do something like that, like to like to prepare something for themselves they're like talking they're doing something else they're like mm. you know like it's kind of uproar it was dead quiet like you could hear a the scribble they were just scribbling the next, like 10 minutes what like, shyla man and, and i was a little worried like oh maybe i went too hard on them i don't know um <laughs> look at you and we've been we've been pretty good ever since like those guys that behavior has stopped one of them has become really outspoken in class in like a helpful, meaningful way. Did anyone drop um, it? Nobody dropped it. Yeah. Nobody dropped it. Um, I wasn't sure if I was hoping they would or not. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, no one dropped it. But there, and I, um, the following week, we actually changed rooms because the room we were in was very like, it was huge. It was a computer lab. So they were like hidden behind computers and oh, really wow. spread out. And it facilitated like a lot mm -hmm. of the behavior. So now we're in like a more um, appropriate room for like a seminar, like the whole U-shaped desk mm -hmm. thing, um, which is familiar to me. And um, it's just been, it's been night and day. Um, I've been really impressed with them lately. And one thing that really stood out to me that I guess I, I want to say, because it was advice I got that I never thought of it this way, um, is that part of what could have been happening since we were talking about women's issues, we were talking about gender and masculinity and like questioning, like, you know, these really kind of um, fundamental thoughts that are in our culture. It could be that the, that the guys who were disruptive felt like, 
they had to kind of perform this role of being like, oh, well, we need to be the disgruntled men mm. who, you know, mm. know, protecting their egos or whatever. And so when I called them out, I actually gave them permission to drop that. Wow. Oh, that's really interesting. And um, the idea that like, oh, okay, now that it's like officially been stated, like I see you doing this and you need to cut it out if you want to stay here. So they got that the gives visibility them permission now they can to, like to actually stop that performance and like, you know, allow themselves to get involved. And yeah, that was a really powerful advice. And um, I think there was something to that, at least for these guys. Yeah, that makes it, that's really fantastic. And also I think it does speak to how, you know, we do say that masculinity hurts everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and this is really a good example of that. Do we know the person who, who said this or was no, it just? No. Uh, <laughs> <damn> it. <laughs> so that's pretty great yeah um, i'm glad that worked out and i'm glad you also had the, sh the courage to take back your classroom i can see how hard that must have been yeah, yeah i was terrified I... <laughs> <laughs> I was, I just, like i can't even understate that i was really scared like i felt like you know they were they're like you know pretty they were all like bigger than me, mm -hmm. you know, and like, uh -huh, um, uh -huh. you know, there was a lot of, there was definitely gender played into why they felt it was okay to, um, to be so disrespectful to me, you know. I'm, I'm were they the only men in the class? No, they weren't okay. the only men in the class. Um, but um, I know from comments that I was definitely one of the youngest professors they've had. Mm -hmm. um, uh -huh. And, and black don't crack, so they probably thought black. you were 22 or something. Yeah, they are. I mean, fairly, <laughs> fairly like, you're, young. You're that's a come up. That's come up on campus in general, but like, yes, I'm fairly young. I don't think me being black helps because they're, you know, they're from an <laughs> area where like that's not. Uh, there are no other black faculty in the English department mm -hmm. there right now. Oh. So like that's, so, yeah, so that's rare too. There was a lot going on, and um. I had, I realized when I was thinking about my reaction, I was like, why am I so scared? Like, I was like really in kind of a visceral way, like really afraid of them for a period of time. And I um, remembered that, you know, as a kid, I, I was actually jumped by a group of white boys. Mm -hmm. um, wow. And that kind of feeling like surrounded, so, like in this way that, you know, wasn't even entirely their fault. It was just like bringing up. Mm -hmm like pr this stuff for me and so um yeah it was really important that it was important for my own you know life journey and for the benefit of the students in class that I that I stood up and you know like yeah did that. yeah I definitely understand that bridging multiple we all have our own past that we carry into the classroom or into any interaction just as the students do and just because we're the professor, we're leading the discussion doesn't mean that we don't also have a reaction, even though we, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I, you know, that's what I tried to tell them at the beginning of the start of our, of the semester was that, like, you don't know what people are bringing into this room with them. You know, when uh -huh. we're discussing, like, when we're talking about gender and sexuality and, like, things that, you know, are very vital to our identities and come with various traumas and like any like what you just you have no idea what experiences mm -hmm. the people around you 
um, are bringing into the conversation and to always have that in mind to be compassionate and to realize that like somebody in this room could always be coming from like a really real place um, yeah including you as an instructor including, yeah including you yeah I'd say that one of the conclusions I want to draw from our talk is that I thought that coming in this conversation our theme was going to be about you know precarity but I think this is also a testimony to to Shyla's amazing <laughs> resilience <laughs> uh, oh, no. like you've just managed to survive a lot like and I was very proud yeah, of Shyla. This was not that was not like that was not a normal thing of not something I've ever had to do before. But like I think it's more of a testament to just like how much support I had because that's something that again like No, I actually think you were gonna have a rise and helped you face those guys. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> working at They're having to knock or you know, having to go in the corner and yell at people because you can't sit down uh-huh. for training. <laughs> That did it. You were like, listen. So it was definitely a year of like stepping out of my comfort zone. That's true. But like one of the things that, that made it so hard in the beginning was feeling like, was feeling powerless. Like I didn't know if, like maybe I'm exaggerating. You know, maybe if I tell the chair or I tell a colleague, they'll think that, you know, I'm making too much out of mm-hmm. it or they won't believe me. Right. And so getting to talk to you guys, getting to talk to um, uh, my faculty mentor at the school, and they were, like, sympathetic and offering um, solutions mm-hmm. and strategies, and, you know, it felt very validating. It felt like I was bringing everybody in the room with me, like, as, like, support. Mm-hmm. Like, I had all of this in my head of, like, how to approach this, and I knew that, you know, immediately after I was going to call Zion and tell her, like, yeah. what happened. You know, I just, like, it just felt very... I felt very uh, strong because of that. So it's definitely not about how badass I am in general. Because it's, it's a rare occurrence. Charlotte, did you watch Sailor Moon? I did not watch Sailor Moon. Sorry. Okay, damn it. I was going to bring a Sailor Moon image. But basically, because like, all the power of the Sailor Scouts together through the power of friendship. Oh, Have you guys seen Steven anyway. Universe? Yes, I'm, I love Steven Universe! It's so amazing. It's Cayuse. <laughs> It's amazing, like one of the base representation of women of color and queerness on television. Anyway, one of the main voices is yeah. Estelle. Nice. I need to check this yeah. out. Sorry, I'm behind. Oh, I feel and like I may have tried to for time it. purposes, it's also helpful. Is this the one with the princess gum or whatever? No, and the... no this How is Adventure you? That was no. Adventure oh, Time. Okay. But this... Sorry, sorry. It was just so unattractive. I couldn't. I just... Steven Universe? No, Adventure Time. No, Adventure Time. So Rebecca Sugar, who is the creator of Steven Universe, originally was working on Adventure Time. She was responsible for the gender swap episodes. And now she's the very first woman creator to have her own show on Cartoon Network. And it's like, yeah. And it's all about, like, pretty much all the voice actors other than the boy are women of color. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, incredibly queer. Like, just incredibly queer and really smart. And it's so much about, like, also, like, using anime influences and Western influences. And it talks about trauma and mourning. You have to and get Steven's on this. just oh, funny. No, no, no. What's this? Wow. And it's only exactly and the only way I minutes. envision a boy who grows up around all women. <laughs> and, like, all interesting women. And But his dad is also a strong influence in his life. At any rate, yeah. it's super cool. 
um, Garnet's cool. And the episodes are about 12 minutes long. So yeah, that's also good. So if you, you want to get in a quick episode. And and they're so complicated. Yeah, they like are. I feel like this, this show now is like almost hitting airbender level for me. Wow. Almost. That's the, that's the strong Except it, I think it, it does a better job with queerness, actually, because that's something they didn't really mm-hmm. get into it before. Yeah. They kind of, they wanted to, but they got scared. Yeah. Well, Mind you, like, it's hitting airbender, not in terms of visuals, but in terms of storyline. Yeah. I, I, airbender yeah. still great. It's, I might actually have to watch it again. <laughs> okay. My maybe students we, haven't seen yeah. it. Uh, I had like, Maybe two students who've seen any of Avatar. Stop teaching and bring in a TV screen. Right? (laughs) (laughs) That is teaching. It's only bring your teaching to the next level. It's so bizarre because I don't know what they're doing. Like, there's no (laughs) sense of, like, what have you watched? Like, they're not. Don't ask what they watch. They might say porn. <laughs> maybe they're watching, but like maybe they're watching Luke Cage right now, you know? They are not watching Luke Cage, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Okay, okay. Two, two students, hope, thankfully, we even saw Jessica Jones, right? Like, <laughs> they, I don't even, I, I, I don't know. I keep thinking okay, I'm going okay. like, to hit a nerd and be like, I thought they were going to get excited. Like, yeah, look, we all watch Avatar. No. <laughs> That's our own fault. They need better cultural touchstones. Oh. Anyway, maybe we should start wrapping up because we're well over an hour. Yeah, now. remember that time we I got kicked out good. of the Avatar um, dinner group? Yes, yes, because you tried to like fake Somebody it, and then someone was like, like "Ask you some question." Lotus flower or something? And I was like, "I was like something about the white lotus," and you were like, "Sure." I don't know what I said, yeah. but he was like, "Get out." You just got. Just no other words. Get out. I think you were feeling self conscious as a. Is a uh, poser for the moment. Yeah. So then I watched it and now I'm on it. Mm-hmm. Yay! Yep. Zion got another one. <laughs> Shiloh, thank you so much for sharing your stories and talking about your experience with um, life after grad school and sharing your amazing story. You're an awesome teacher. I wish I'd had you. It would have been super cool. <laughs> Maybe I'll pose one day. And it- Thank you for having me. Yeah, and you could be like, well, I've seen Avatar. (laughs) Yeah, plant me. You'll be the expert. (laughs) I know all the lingo, too. Like, the the things the kids are saying these days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, lit. Um, Yeah, see, that's not... That's not... Bay. I'm kidding. Oh, my God. Okay, we we need to cut this off. And if you come in with a list, oh lord. <laughs> you want me out of this way. It's not, not actually. Oh god, if I say crunk, it's over. <laughs> I'll be dating myself so much. I just realized, like, in the last year, I think, I realized that crunk was crazy drunk. Didn't connect it. Oh, I didn't know that. Did not know it. I just know Master P. Anyway, that's not really closed yet. Yeah, I guess it's closed now. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. So, like us on Facebook, Boston Twitter, subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thanks for your support. And no, that's it. She finished. It was perfect. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. And okay. can I can I stop the recording? Yeah.